0: I just adore you so much because you just open the door for God to move any way He wants to move
1: in what it is you do for Him. The authenticity of the worship where when I stand before Him and I'm broken, I don't have to come looking like I'm not. I come broken. I, I, I need healing. I come needing healing. I am excited and happy. I come excited and happy. And. And where my spirit being is not is not putting up smoke screens before God.
0: I'm going to give a little context to how we know each other because we met in 2010. Yes, June of 2010. You um, applied for the Dive Creative School that at the time I was doing. In Charlotte, North Carolina. Yeah. But we met in Dallas. Yeah. Maybe months before that. Do you yeah. remember like when exactly we met? I remember too well.
1: I, I remember too well. It was at a worship yeah. conference and I was sitting in the, in the congregation as you led worship and I had never seen anything like that in my life. I, I was in awe of God. I was. Totally, he was like my eyes were peeled open to see what was possible with worship and intimacy. I never seen anything like it. Was almost scary. (laughs) It was beautiful.
0: Yeah, yeah. And you approached me at that conference and introduced yourself to me.
1: Yeah, I remember. And
0: I think I told you a little bit about the dive school. But when you came to that conference, you came to the states kind of as it like a break, like to just like take in this conference. Yes. But you are primarily known for for both music but photography in in Nai- Nairobi Nigeria Nigeria, Nigeria yes. not Nairobi you came all the way out there kind of on a retreat but can you just kind of tell like t- I want you to tell the story of how you you went from kind of like this music background and then you got into photography because I find even your journey so fascinating how the Lord moved you into music, moved you into photography, to doing what you're doing with the worship scene right now um, in Nigeria. So walk us through that.
1: Oh, it's really funny. I started worshiping when I was um, literally when I was 14, 15. I started writing music um, when I was about 15 because my pastor would preach and then I would write the sermon to songs, and I would teach much older people the songs. You know, I had a lot of people who were in college at the time, and then I would teach them the songs. So very quickly, as soon as I got into college, I started writing music. I found a community of people that I made music with. I was a music director in my Christian fellowship. And as soon as I was out of school, I was with a group of young musicians, and we got a a record deal in the U.S., And so I was plunged into Christian music from the other end of very, you know, record label, commercial performances, interviews. And then when that was over, God was trying to show me where he was trying to take me. And so that conference that I met you at in Dallas was not something I had known about. I was standing somewhere in Lagos and someone casually, randomly said they were on their way to America for a worship conference. And I'm like, there's a worship conference where? In America? Okay, I'll come. It wasn't something I had thought about or heard about. And by the next day, I was on a flight to Dallas. I didn't even know what the conference was about. I just felt in my spirit that I needed to be there. So I get to this conference and the first thing I remember is sitting down doing worship. Now, I've written, a, prior to that, I've written a lot of worship songs and God has been talking to me about worship. But I thought I knew what he was talking about. But the moment I saw you lead worship, I realized I had no clue what God was talking about. For the first time, I was thrown deeply into an experience that I had never seen before, not even on TV. It was very intimate, yet it was very authoritative. Yet he was very vulnerable and he was very authentic. And all of this at the same time. I'd never seen anything like that. And I wanted to know more. So when I found out about your dive school, a few months afterwards, I left Nigeria again and I came for the dive school. And I will not lie to you, nothing about my life has been the same since then. It's been one long journey of God showing me the secret place You know, and showing me the power of worship and the authority that we have in worship and how to war in worship and how to heal in worship. And so my entire life and musical journey has been one long thread from that time that I met you.
0: It's just crazy. It really is crazy. In fact, I I remember that particular school that you came to. I think there were, you know, four or five different nations represented at that school. And it was really a collective almost explosion of God rerouting people's lives Yeah, just in that little seven days that we were all together. Oh, yeah. And there was such a beautiful connection to you because you you are a very well-known photographer. I think at the time you were working for, I think, the government there, for the president there taking yeah. f- uh, photographs yeah. of... Uh, you know all of these kind of dignitaries, and and yeah. and I just was like mesmerized by the by the craziness of your life, yeah. And how all of a sudden worship became. I mean, I'm th- th- you know this this show is called um, Worship is is a weapon, and my conversations with you were so much about that, so much yes. about the fact that worship almost became this really beautiful weapon yes. that you realized had all this authority to it in your own life. Yes. Um. How did that change when you got back? Because it's not like you went full into worship and stopped mm. doing photography. No. Photography for you is almost like worship. It is. And, photography and is. it is almost like a weapon, the way that you would describe it. Yeah. Tell. I, I want you to tell some stories about that because I found that so fascinating with the creative and your link with photography
1: being such a form of worship. You know what's really strange is that my photography and my music kind of took off exactly at the same time. And I remember I started off as a documentary photographer, but even with my documentary work, I always made portraits. I was always drawn to people and I was also always drawn to beauty in in the sense that it didn't matter what the subject was. I was going to find what was beautiful about the soul of the individual. And I was always drawn to calling out, you know, what someone was carrying on the inside. So it was almost like photography was where I got to do it in real time, where, you know, what God was dealing with me prophetically, I could express artistically in my connection with another human being. And And to find worship where he did that for me. So it was almost as if everything God did for me in the place of intimacy, I now had a form and an art form that I could do that for someone else. So it was almost as if the conversations that God was having with me in the intimate space, I could have those kind of conversations and kind of be like a bridge between God and someone else to let them know that in fact they are beautiful and they are valuable and, and, and that he can see them, you know. And so for me, they've always worked hand in hand. I make my best work when I'm most connected with God. I, makes, I make my best work when the presence of God is in the room. It's really interesting. If you come for my, my photo sessions, it's me pretty much asking God to show me what beautiful looks like on that person. And so I am constantly vulnerable and constantly open and searching to see what exactly he sees and what are the elements in lights, in styling, in makeup, in hair that I would have to put together in what way to bring that out. And it's beautiful that worship is kind of the same. It's like we are drawn and we are facing him and, you know, he has our attention but in that moment he also is looking upon us and looking at us and you see that exchange of focus and intimacy tells us who we are because we start to see him better you know so i always love it when you know people come into my my photo studio and and it doesn't matter if they're muslim or they don't believe in god sometimes they will start to cry and they don't know why it's like they there's something in the atmosphere that's overwhelming because the same place where I make images is also a place where I worship. So it's like the same physical space would morph into a worship experience full of about 30 young people two days after. And then it becomes this place where there's makeup artists and stylists and and hairstylists and everybody working creatively together. So my life has always been that endless fusion where the images come out of the music and the music you know would lead to better images there's always been that fusion of light and sound it's always worked that way for me always has your
0: photography um was there a a time in your life where you felt like the strain between should i do music or should i do photography was there ever like
1: a wrestle between those two creative worlds for you There was initially a wrestle between photography and music when I did not understand why I had the both of them. The moment that I realized that I needed one for the other, I I stopped the wrestle. So the last album that I made, I never had to stop making images to make the music. It was almost like I was composing the sound the same way I would build upon an image, the same way I would build layers within an image and create a foreground and a background and decide where the focus is. Focus is decide where the light should be, what the where where the highlights and where the accents should be. So I feel like imagery and light has taught me more about putting music together than anything else has. They are exactly the same. It's it's like in in music there is um highlights and shadows. In, um, in, in, in sound, it's either it's really, either really heavy or brilliant. It's the same thing. A good image is a beautifully composed image. A beautiful song is a beautifully composed song. It's the same thing. And I feel like spiritually, it's like what photography forces you to do is to look at people and to see people and to have compassion. And so when I write music and I write worship, even though it's, um, it's an expression of my love and my intimacy with God, it's like I have compassion for other people and I want them to come in and experience the same thing that I'm experiencing. So that compassion is what drives my musical style. It is what causes me to you know, be hungry for a young generation of people to know him intimately. And so I would write worship music, but I would put it in Afrobeats which is like the language of the young music of Nigeria. And I would take them from Afro beats. In the same song, I would throw them into deep prophetic music to realize that genre was only just a tool. It wasn't the, it wasn't the form. And so it's, it's in understanding the way, you know, looking at people and seeing people and having empathy for people is what drives the sound that we release in the name of worship. Because worship is a personal experience. But when you are an artist and a, pro, uh, and, a, and a musician, your desire is to pull other people into that thing that you experience so often, that is so special, but you don't want it for yourself alone. Now you want it for a generation. Now you want it for a country. Now you want to spread it like a virus through the continent of Africa. Now it's your dream that, you know, the sound and the genres can mix from continent to continent where you now create that um, communication between people of different cultures. That's what the experience has been for me or is for me. And I'm really having a blast with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, I think one thing that just fascinates me about you is that whole sense of creative thing that you've got. You look at the way you take a picture, the way you sing a song and that's always just been because not not everybody understands the um, the beauty of cre- of the creative expression and what God loves about creative expression and I you would go after even the the I, I I remember a few times when we were together you told me these like these crazy stories of encounters with God in your photography. That almost blew my mind. I, I remember you were telling me once about um, this really, uh, I, I I don't know if it was like a, it was a regalia kind of a horse show somewhere that you'd never been, but you'd always wanted to take pictures. Please share that story, T.Y., because that unraveled me. I literally, and sent me to a place with the Lord where I have never forgotten those Im- that image that you brought up and the, what God was doing amidst that, please tell that story.
1: So I, I think God used my a photography encounter to teach me about royalty and and what it means when He calls us royalty or royal priesthood and what it really means. So um I got permission to go to the northern part of Nigeria to shoot the emir, you know, the of Kanu, and. I remember that uh, one of the first things. Like, explain
0: we... what that is. People wouldn't necessarily know what that is.
1: Yeah, so there, there, there's a there's a king in the northern part of Nigeria called the Emir Okano, and he's like a very, very big political, uh, sorry, a very big royal leader in that part of the country. And it's a, it's a throne that runs for centuries and centuries. You know, it's a very, very big deal, and. Having access to the king is a very big deal. Like, very few people can say that they've actually made portraits of the emir because it's a very traditional throne and it's not, there's no access. So, let me give an example. Whenever you see the emir, you never see him in between two positions. So, if he's, if he's sitting on a horse and he has to get down from a horse, 10 people with a regalia like mine would literally stretch out their hands to cover him so that you never see him vulnerable, getting halfway down a horse. You either see him sitting on a horse or you see him standing. You never get to actually experience the process of sitting to standing. That is how revered the emir is, you know? So I remember that I had gone in for that shoot and I was given a lot of favor and access and I was able to go into rooms where no one had photographed before, especially no woman had photographed before. And for me this was very it was very, very big deal for me because I understood what it meant that God had opened the door for me, but I thought he was opening the door for me to have a cultural experience. But then I realized that he was opening the door so that I could have spiritual understanding. So I remember once whenever the king would be on its on his way to a venue then the crowd will start to chant charachi, or something like that and and I would like what is all this commotion there'll be commotion everywhere and people will be shooting guns you know in the air and some people will be blowing on the kakaki because and I was wondering what is happening why is all this chaos and everybody would say everyone is chanting adjust yourself he is coming adjust yourself is coming. That means prepare yourself, stand in proper position because he's on his way. And I thought, oh my God, doesn't that just tell me about who God is? And I assumed that that was an allegory for God. So the next day, when all of this was over, when I went to pray and spend time with God, I remember I was chanting and I was going, God Almighty, I've come to worship you, you are here And I was going on in this very dramatic way, and it was almost as if I felt God roll his eyes at me and go, my daughter, you are royalty. When you walk into the room, every spiritual entity will adjust itself into position because you have come. So it was God showing me the power of who we are as children, as sons, as daughters of God, the authority that we carry. And And if a human royal position could carry that kind of authority, then you must be aware of what happens when you walk into a territory or when you walk into a room. Everybody knows you're on your way. Everybody in the spirit begins to adjust properly. There are angels on your side. Even the darkness knows that you've come. And it's amazing how God will teach me these very strong spiritual lessons through photography commissions.
0: That's crazy. And then you did get to photograph him.
1: Oh, yes, I did. Oh, yes, I did. And I remember it was really strange because yeah. he, he very traditional, very beautiful, though. It's the most beautiful. I, I will share some of the pictures. But it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen because everything is royal, down to the shoes, down to the turbans, down to even the way he speaks. You know, a king doesn't waste words and a king doesn't talk to everyone. So I remember that he would talk to his handler to talk to me now that did not in any way make me feel small or belittled or disrespected but it let me understand that it is a, the position is holy it's separate we are not the same and it's beautiful because in the modern world people do not understand royalty and they do not understand kingship you know because everyone is democratic and of course all human beings are equal but an understanding of kingship And royalty and and authority gives you a very clear picture of who God is, because that is who God is. God is king of kings and lord of lords. He is the king of of every age from from the beginning to the end, the alpha and omega. And to understand who he is, sometimes the place of intimacy may, may deceive you into becoming so casual that you do not understand the power and the authority of the God that you stand before.
0: Yeah. And I think the 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 most beautiful trait about you for me has been how you are um you walk around certain that God loves you, that he sees you and you you invite the experience of God into what you do which, you know, I don't know if it's a part of the Western culture here to always doubt, but it's what I found and have have always find so refreshing about um, different parts of the world, especially Africa. And you have renewed that place in me where you would always say to me, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt that the Lord would ever do anything? You put so much emphasis on having the experience with God And inviting him into what you're doing, that your experiences with him in the middle of what you're doing are so profound to me of an encounter. I mean, I remember you even, I don't know how many years ago this was, but you were sharing with me, you were photographing some type of musician there, famous musician there. And you saw this girl um, oh, walking around right with right bread right. on her head. <laughs> oh, my God, Rita. These stories,
1: T.Y., changed my life. Oh, no, but that, um, Rita, that was <laughs> They good. changed that was... my life the way... <laughs> <laughs> you want to hear that one again? The story of Olajuwake, the bread seller. So um, a, a British rapper, a very famous British rapper, he wasn't even a Nigerian artist, he's from, he came in for the UK. And usually at the time, I used to work with... Um, one of the top publications in Nigeria. So whenever anyone important came to Nigeria, I was commissioned to photograph. So for instance, when Beyonce came, I, I got commissioned to photograph Beyonce, Jay-Z, Snoop Dogg, many artists, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I photographed a lot of um, very famous people from the US. But I remember that a lot of the photos that I had done were in hotels. And I, and I said to myself, the next, I know it's amazing how God will put these thoughts in your head because he already has a story written out. And I said, the next time I'm asked to photograph another artist from out of the country, I will not shoot them in a hotel. I'm going to take them to the heart of the city and I'm going to photograph them right there. And so I remember when Tiny Temper came into Nigeria, I insisted that he be brought to Yaba. And I insisted that I wanted to photograph him with real people in the middle of the beauty and the chaos and the Everything that that is Lagos. Lagos is very. Lagos is like New York on speed. <laughs> it's like a lot of energy, and I wanted to photograph him in the middle of all of that. And then I had this image that I I took him onto the streets, and I wanted like a bike rider to ride past him, and I photographed him juxtaposed with that. And this young lady who was selling bread, and there's something in Lagos when people sell bread, they would usually have a tray of bread and with a lot of bread arranged yay high on their head, balanced to sell. And I, I kind of winked at her and said, is it okay to photograph you? And she said, yes. And then I put out this picture of Tiny Temper and this bread seller and everybody thought she was a model. And so when the pictures were published, people were like, oh my God, how did a model know how to balance all this bread on her head? Because it's a skill that you learn over time. You can't just balance. You have to be someone who knows how to do that. And I kept telling people, she's not a model. She's actually a bread seller. And people were like, no way. And so I left a message out in the same area for them to find her. And then they did bring her to me. And when I met her, she told me that she had two young kids. And one of them was exactly the same age as my kids. So I just wanted to help her. And I didn't know her. So I did this photo shoot of her. And then I sent it out. While I did that, she got a rec- she got a modeling contract and was published on the cover of that same magazine. And I thought the story would go viral in Nigeria. But in two days, this news was on every major platform on the world. It was on BBC, CNN, NBC, every major news network in America, in China, New Zealand, Australia. Everywhere. And it was just such a simple story that a, a street hawker became a model. It was a very simple, like, transformational story. And, you know, it's really interesting that isn't that what God does with us when, when we become children? It doesn't matter where we are and who we are. The moment that he puts a crown on our head, immediately in sonship, you know, and we become his children, you know, it puts a dignity on us that life cannot shake off us. It's it's incredible, you know, but it's it's really weird how God somehow would just lead you into these coincidences. This was complete coincidence. There's no way in the world that I could have planned to be at that spot on that day at that time to photograph this girl who, who I'd never met before in my life, who Two weeks down the line, we're both on CNN International having a, an interview together. It's it's incredible. It's impossible, really. It's impossible, you know.
0: All the time with you. That's why I just adore you so much because you just open the door for God to move any way He wants to move in what it is you do for Him. And that's why I'm just like, whenever I think of you, I'm like, oh, how many stories does she have now of how the Lord has walked in and done something? <laughs> because it, it's true. It really is true. If you're inviting him into the into the arena of what you do and just like do whatever you want to do, he just yeah. he just meets up with you in that way. How did you get from because while you're still doing photography, you're now kind of partnering? with all these different people where you started like bringing people into your home. Right. And just doing these live worship events. Yeah.
1: How did that come about for you? Spontaneous worship. Oh my God. I think the sessions of worship in my living room have been God's biggest gift to me. It's so incredible that if it didn't happen one more time, if, 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 If the last time I did it, last week Thursday, was the last time I was ever going to do it, it'll probably take me another 30, 35 years to go through every encounter and understand every song that has come. So you see, um, usually on Thursdays in my house, I have the house open and I ask God, who are you going to bring in next? And he would literally either tell me or send me a sign and I would just call them and they would come. And this started almost seven years ago. And basically what we do is we come in front of a microphone with no songs on our heart. Most of the time, no conversations had before that. And we open our mouths and we enter this musical prophetic journey in worship that just wrecks all of us. And It's beautiful because it's never the same thing. You see, worship isn't just about adoration and telling God how awesome he is, how beautiful he is, you know, because most of the time we'll start off with that. But in that conversation, God sometimes will speak over us in song. I know some of his songs are really interesting because they're absolutely and completely spontaneous, but then they'll come with verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, bridge, chorus, refrain. Like sometimes they would come as songs that are so perfectly written without you trying to write them. Sometimes it would come so abstract and near chaotic, but make perfect sense. But I know that at the end of each session, you know, no one remains the same. Every question has been answered. Every doubt has been reassured. Every conversation that you've been trying to have with God has been had. Everything that he's been trying to tell you, and you wouldn't listen has come to you in a song, and it's the most beautiful thing and I remember when we started sharing these things, nobody was really watching and then but over the years, people have you know have tuned in and they they've just been able to navigate with these sounds and it's 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 incredible it's incredible um i you never know what the songs will be about. I remember during the COVID, when COVID started and just before the lockdown, I had a, a friend of mine now coming to Nigeria. And I, I all, the, all the while I used to hear her name. I thought she was a man. And I heard, oh Tommy Favor is a Nigeria. And I'm like, oh really and I called her. She showed up at my house and we did a song together called Passover. And this was just before the lockdown. And I remember that when we released this song, spirit prophetic dancers and flaggers from all over the world literally took Passover as an anthem to speak over the land. And a lot of people would go in front of hospitals and play Passover and flag and dance. And there was nothing we did from our end to make this happen. We didn't reach out to a bunch of dancers and say, oh, this is a good song for that. It's beautiful to know that when you tie, tie yourself into what God is doing and you make your mouth your, yourself a a, an available, vulnerable, open-mouthed piece for God, then there's no telling what he does. Sometimes they're little things. Sometimes he's not doing anything in that session for the nation. Maybe he's dealing with my selfishness or my small mind or my self-centeredness or my doubt and my fear today. But tomorrow he may be speaking over the nation. He may be speaking over the economy and healing the country. Mm. The next day wow. he might be opening yeah. a yeah. door for other people. So it's it's beautiful what happens when we actually spend time in worship because it's a two-way street. You know, you never know what happens. You never know. Yeah. Yeah, I I
0: do you find that I mean, I guess for me there's such a vulnerability in that what you're doing because in the western culture, we're so used to putting the song together and hoping that everybody like it. And what you guys are doing that, I mean, there's so much of, I know you do it, but there's a lot of friends that you have that are are doing that same thing. I'm seeing reels and all kinds of stuff now constantly with this just live, spontaneous thing that's happening. And the power that's coming off of, you know, just watching those things is so different even for me as a songwriter, there is this um, vulnerable kind of like release in watching these reels or watching these YouTube things, and there's there's just no struggle on it. And I'm yes. wondering, you know, is there is there a turning that we need to get to in worship, where we um, stop striving to find the perfect song, and just start singing? whatever we need to sing that the Lord's asking for, like you're saying, like one day it could be this and one day it could be this and and you never really know what the Lord has, but the agenda isn't like written out in stone. You just show up and you do it. Do you feel like the that we need to, the world needs to get back to that in the church for the church to almost come back to life?
1: I believe that while... Wow the way structure things are structured in many um, contexts may be necessary and they actually work and there's nothing wrong with it. I know that there's a beauty in separating time to let, letting God release sound over us and through us and allowing ourselves release sound to Him, void of any agenda where whatever the sound is, it is. It doesn't have to be anything, it, as long as it is authentic. I think it's the authenticity of the worship. Where, when I stand before Him and I'm broken, I don't have to come looking like I'm not. I come broken, and I, I need healing. I come needing healing. I am excited and happy. I come excited and happy, and and where my spirit being is not is not putting up smoke screens before God where the sound is exactly where I am. And I feel like that liberty and freedom in that context, because it cannot be in every context, you know, it's it's a very, very unique and, and very beautiful context really because, you know, I, I found it and it's such a beautiful place where I've created a place, not just in front of the microphone, but even if it's just in your time with God in the morning, to open up your mouth and sing to him a new song, not knowing where the song ends, not knowing where the song can go, and having every expression, every instruction come through the song, every prayer come through the song, every desire, every spiritual, everything that the Spirit of God is trying to pull on the inside of you and stir up on the inside of you come out through a song. It's a very beautiful thing, but I think that you have to be intentional in having it happen. You just have to want it enough to create time to do it and create a context where you can do it.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably the the biggest downfall that I've seen just in our culture is that there's not a need for it, That, that there's so many people that walk around that worshiping or just telling God what it is they believe about him on a spot on a spontaneous or on a, even a daily, like kind of prayer journal. It's just, it's not the first thing that we think about. And I, I, I just find it um, almost like there's a, what you guys do and what I've been watching has almost stirred up a jealousy in me to want to get there because I think there's, there's this idea that, Oh, there's a formula for that. There's got to be a formula for that. That must be somebody called by God to do that thing. And I don't hear you saying this is a formula. I just hear you saying, no, just like open up your, open up your mouth and sing. I mean, Scripture tells us to even do that, but it is really so mind-boggling that our own stuff puts us in the trenches that we can't just sing. You know, I I think a lot of um, Isaiah 54, you know, single barren woman, you who never bore a child. And the conversation I had with the Lord many, many years ago, because, you know, I understood that verse. I understood that verse from a barren woman. I understood that verse from just how do you sing like you have something in the Lord or you have something in the natural that God has answered you with when you don't. Like, how do you pretend that your life is okay when it's not? And for years I wrestled with that. And then I just heard the Lord tell me, well, it's, it's right there. Sing, sing. And I thought it can't be that simple. Like it can't be that simple, right? Like I I can't just open my mouth to sing and God let it feel like I have something that I don't. But the reality of it is in the spirit with the authenticity of intention, when I just began to sing in the natural over those areas of my life, I felt less weighted down by what I didn't have and more expectant of who it, who it, who it is that God is. And but it's not, it's hard to convey that experience, TY, to people that don't even even understand in the church today anymore what authenticity is. How would you encourage a hard-headed or a hard-hearted people to just believe for, for just the simplicity of opening up your mouth and singing and letting that become your weapon? One of the things that we
1: must inspire is for people to know God on a very personal level because it's the church is all of us one by one by one that have a relationship with God having relationships with each other and that relationship with each other does not replace the one-on-one face-to-face intimate relationship with God and then I've also realized that every journey of intimacy is different. Mine has been a very musical journey that started off with my desire to have children. I was married for almost 10 years and could not conceive. And I, I, I was really hungry to be a mother. And I remember while I was waiting on motherhood, one of the things God said to me was to buy a piano. And I was like, I can't play the piano. And he says, buy a piano, it'll change your life. You know? And I remember one of the things that happened at the same time was, I remember God, God stirred me up to grow a garden. And he told me that the same way that the gra- garden was put together in one day, I remember I had this sprawling garden that I had in my old house that had like hundreds of plants that came in all on the same day. You know, it wasn't like I grew up, I grew a garden from two plants to four to six. It was like, boom. I didn't have a garden. Then I had a garden on my roof and it was beautiful. And, and sometimes the way that God works with us and the way that God works work with you is different from the way he would work with me. With music and finding what that I do now so effortlessly, it was following each and every instruction that he gave me one at a time. I don't know the connection between the garden and the music. I don't know the connection between... I can see the connection with buying that piano and the music that we make today. But I remember that when I got pregnant, I had like a major writer's block. I felt like my ability to write songs had completely dried out. I thought it was completely over. I could not write anything. I remember when I was in in Dallas then, I had you know hung out with a producer for an entire weekend and we all successfully wrote two lines at the end of one weekend and and even though i wasn't making music and i wasn't able to write anything every time i spent time with god he would talk about what's happening now he would talk about these songs and these sounds that would come to me yet nothing was coming to me there was no Nothing. There was no expression. There was not even a song that I can say, oh, those six months, I wrote this great song. But following him, one instruction after the next will lead you to that very beautiful place where the waters are flowing free. You know, the water doesn't always flow free. You know, we go through seasons in our life where we kind of feel locked in. But if we follow him, instruction after instruction, then we'll find our place of expression that is unique to us. I don't think there's a difference between Africa and America or Europe when it comes to authenticity or finding authenticity. The same temptations that an artist in America faces about being hungry to succeed more than they are hungry to find him or spend time with him exists here as well because it's a human condition. Sometimes that which God has given you can become a tool of trade and you have to decide if it is a tool of trade or it is the most important thing in your life. Even Jesus was tempted in that way. He was asked to turn stone to bread. He was asked to jump down from the temple so that everybody would see him. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It was asked to bow down and worship so that he could have all the wealth in the world and all the kingdoms of the world. So the same temptations that came to Christ come to all of us. But I think what changes everything is where our desire for him supersedes our desire for everything else. When that happens, then we really don't care what people think. We really don't care if people listen. We don't care as much if people you know, don't understand it yet or don't like it. You know, a lot of the music that I make is not always very pretty, but it's very authentic. That is the sound of my spirit, is the sound of everything that I am culturally as a human being, as a Nigerian, as the music that I grew up listening to. So my expression in worship may not sound anything like you, Rita, because we've come musically from a very different place. But I know that God is not Nigerian and God is not American. And so what matters to him is when I come with my heart open to a sound that he knows is authentic, a sound that he can recognize, a sound that is spirit and truth. You know what I'm trying to say? So the temptations are the same. It's just more about value. What do we really value? If you value industry, then be sincere about it. It's, it's a decision to say, that is why I'm in this. This is why I'm here. I'm here for industry. It's a decision that someone can make. And, and that is their decision. To so I can't say, oh, I want you to do it like me because I have my own way and I have my own little economy of life and how I do life and how I train time and how I train my gifts and how I work. you know. But for me, music is that place where I... I serve him and where he takes care of me. It's where I I take instructions. It's also that place where I can get anything I want. I mean, there's absolutely nothing that my heart desires that I cannot in the place of worship lay down before him. And sometimes I will lay down before him and he completely takes it away from me. And he's like, no, that's not for you. But sometimes I'll bring this huge possible ideas and say, God, I want that. And he's like, absolutely sure you can have that. So it's just that place of intimacy between father and son, between king and subject, between Jesus, my brother, the firstborn, you know, it's it's everything. And, and there's no one way to do it. Just make sure that in this life, that is the one place where it's true, you know, spirit and truth. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It must be the one place where it's sincere. This is not the place. We can make music that doesn't have to be. You can write a song that does not depict how you really feel as a human being. Songwriting doesn't necessarily have to be sincere, but worship has to be truth. This is the one place where it has to be truth. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the expression of truth, even though it's universal in the spirit and by the word of God, is different for every individual. I will never sound like you, you know, and there's no need for me. You know, it's amazing how, what I love about what God is doing in Nigeria right now is that Nigerians have become more comfortable with sounding Nigerian. 30 years ago, every deep expression of worship had to sound Americanish you know, because that was the music that was coming to us and that was music that was influencing us. What excites me about watching young Nigerian worship leaders is they are finding their own sound. They're not ashamed of their own sound. They're putting out their own sound, authentic sound, you know, and I'm watching people from all over the world listen to this sound, you know, be inspired by this sound, be drawn closer to God by this sound. Because everything that we carry in the difference of our expression is by the Holy Ghost, you know, and He is not Nigerian or American. He's the He's the source of us all.
0: I've loved watching that because I I just from on this side of it, watching what I've seen of what you're doing and what some other people there are doing, it that's what I've I've gleaned from it. I'm like, oh man, it's their sound the way that they're doing it is so anointed by the way that they're doing it because it's the way god's anointing them to do it and it wasn't um it just didn't wasn't westernized and for me that's what why you know some of those videos were almost intoxicating for me in the spirit because i was so unraveled by that kind of authenticity it wasn't something i'd heard before but it was authentically what was coming from what they were doing and ministered to my soul without even understanding the language of it. And I think I was so provoked by that. I even was watching a couple days ago, um, a young Muslim girl just on YouTube, who I think is from Nigeria, she has kind of a podcast or some YouTube following. And she was listening to um, some, some, um, worship music in the U S. And then she said, I'm going to just play worship music from here in Nigeria. And I, I'm going to destroy the name of the person that she played, but I knew this was somebody you posted at one point. And she wasn't, she's a Muslim. She wasn't, she's not even a Christian. And she just was lighting up singing this Nigerian worship music um, from this, uh, this circle of people that you do it with. And I was just in awe of the translation, the pure translation of the presence of God to someone who's not even a believer on screen watching it happen right there and just kind of mesmerized by the power of that kind of worship. And I just thought, man, I... I, it actually, again, it makes me jealous to stay authentic and to stay not, I'm um, so worried because I think that's part of what you're saying too is I think sometimes I get, you know, kind of as an older mother figure in worship, worried about what's happening to worship and missing the fact that if we just glean back into and lean back into, um, you know what, where's your heart? Where's your need? What do you need God to do? And let's just tell him and make it almost bring it back to this simplistic format. I think is quite beautiful. It's, it's really quite beautiful. So I, I love that you're doing this. I'm so grateful for who you are. I'm so like, I'm stunned by what God does with you all the time. It's just, I I think I could tell stories about you all the time because from what you do in photography to what you do in worship, it really is truly
1: absolutely stunning. You know, I stumbled on a scripture in the book of Acts where it says that I will rebuild the tabernacle of David so that the pagans can come. And a lot of times when we talk about spreading the gospel, we think that the way to spread the gospel of Jesus is merely by being more strategic and going outside and speaking to the world in a way that they would understand. And then they can now see Jesus. But what God is saying is, I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, that place of intimacy with God and contact with God so that the pagans can come. The first, it's amazing that when you begin to worship in spirit and in truth, like we just spoke about, the glory of the Lord will fill the earth. Then those that don't know Jesus will hear. They will hear the depths of your worship. They will understand the tongues. They will understand the brokenness and the intimacy, even though they've never met Jesus. And that will be their introduction. You know, sometimes we kind of like underestimate the wisdom that lies in a human being. And we feel like we need to break down the gospel into little tiny pieces so that they can finally get it. No, everyone who ever meets Jesus will get it. It's not, you don't need, they don't need you to say oh this is exact no they will get every human spirit will recognize christ when they see him and so when the sound that we make is from him and to him nobody on earth you know is free from that every it's like a virus you know i, I remember when we released the last album i remember one of the prophetic words that i got was where is your place in the circular music charts and I was like, okay, God, I started off worship from being in the circular music charts without trying. But then I spent the last 10 years trying to make sure that that doesn't matter and that is not my goal. So why are you asking me where is my place in those charts? But then he started to explain to me that when I said that to you, I didn't necessarily tell you to make music from the outside. You kind of have to come deeper within so that those on the outside can hear you. It's not by watering it down or making it neutral that they would hear you. When it's authentic and it's true and it's legitimate, everybody knows what authentic expression and artistry is. Everybody can hear it. So I remember that I took that risk this time around and I said, okay, it was going to be all true. So it's everything from Afrobeats to to tongues, to everything that I am in, by nature. And I remember that when we released the album, it became the number two album, not gospel album, in Nigeria. And Nigeria, the music scene is very big. It's, it's huge. Music from here charts in the U.S. Do you understand? All the time. The last one of our artists um, was number one in the U.S. just a few months ago. So it's, it's a very, very interesting, interesting space. But I saw God put the music up there. Why? Because... The glory of the Lord and the praise of the Lord shall cover the earth. Why? God is hungry for people to know him. And every time we praise him, every time we, 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 we make music about our encounters with him, the hunger in the heart of everyone that hears is stirred up. You know, we don't need to try as hard as we think we need to, to try and being strategic. We just have to be authentic. You know, he is God and he wants to reach people and he will reach people through the depths of our worship. The depths of our worship.
0: So good. It's yeah. so good. You're so awesome.
1: You are awesome.
0: <laughs> I am so thankful for you, T.Y. And I'm so thankful for your wisdom and just your... Um, Just the way you run the race. I mean, you you just—you really are such an inspiration to the just the spirit of creative expression and to relationship with God and intimacy. You really are quite fascinating for me. I'm I'm always just like stunned by what God does with you. I'll never forget you. We had dinner one night. And you wanted to take pictures of justice. Yes, and, I remember. You know, you're like, um, yes, you're you're like in the States, we call, you know, her name is Annie Leibovitz, but you're yeah, like right. the Annie Leibovitz of America. And so I, I was like, you wanted to take pictures of him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, to get T.Y. Bellow to take pictures of my kid. Are you kidding me? And you were waiting, you was like, I- I'm just waiting t- for the Lord to speak to me about how to shoot him, how to, you know, to, to photograph him. And I was like, okay. And then we were at dinner and he used to love those little packets of sugar he and he p- pulled the packet of sugar off the, um, off the restaurant table and he unwrapped it and he poured it into thing. And you said, I know how to. I know how to photograph him now. The Lord just gave me a vision for how to photograph him now. And um you had, I don't know if I did it or you did it, but um I remember, remember we I had flour in my hand. Yes. And when I when you said go, I blew the flower into his face and you shot you shot the most absolutely gorgeous. It's one of my favorite photographs of him. I need to get it actually just huge on the wall but that photograph because i every time i look at that photograph i'm like that was a vision she had from the lord to blow flour in my kid's face and the joy on his face in the in that picture was just it's just stunning i just love you to death you're amazing i just think it's so important for people that listen to what i do to just get the resources of just the weapon in worship yeah and how powerful it is. I mean, I'm still in this because it is so powerful. Yeah. And there may be a million reasons for me to quit. But the one reason for me to stay is that I've never seen God do more in worship than use it as a weapon of defense against the enemy. Yeah. And to, to, to just bring us back to center, yeah. And bring us back to truth. Yeah. And, you know, we talk so much about authenticity. It really is truth, right? It's just yes. when the truth is released out of anybody's mouth, anybody under a lie will tremble Yeah, because the truth is so much more powerful than the lie. Yeah. So I'm, wow. I'm just so grateful for you. Oh, my goodness. What, what's happening? Like, just before we go, what's what's the next step for you? Like, what are you doing?
1: Oh my God! It's it's me and a community of young people. Listen, if you come to my house now, it gets really exciting. It's always like tons of like young people. So it's a lot of like for me touring through the universities here, and also collaborating with young people. I I feel like the the revival over here is with the young. It's with the youth. Youth. It's with the youth. So I I I'm so blessed. That He's given me the opportunity to have a community that is outside of my own age group, where I can learn, where I can teach, where I can fellowship with, where we can make music together, where we can worship God together and, and having, you know, where they are and where I am come together to make this thing that I cannot describe. Because, you know, one of the most important things for me now and for the future is collaboration because i find that when you collaborate in truth oh my goodness there's no telling what comes out of that it's 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 fresh every time every time you get with another human being and you guys are all heart open like that so it's 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 also bringing the music you know and having more of those kind of collaborations outside of my own community so for instance i can't wait to do this with you i've never done this with you so I look forward to you coming to Nigeria. Oh, I got to come. Oh, you, you have to come to Nigeria. Yes. Yeah,
0: will. we just need to do a night of worship and just invite whoever you want to invite and we'll
1: just go for it. Oh, and you would love, you would love, I love the revival that is going on here among the young people. People are. Oh,
0: I would love it.
1: And then there's so much to learn. I think one, one of the beautiful things about knowing you are the things that I've learned, you know, and the conversations you have and the way you... Use words, you know, the way you use words and the understanding that you have of words, and I don't know, I don't, I don't think I have the English for that, and how it's changed me, you know, how it's changed me. I I don't think I'd be here having all these beautiful, crazy experiences with God if I never met you. God made sure that I met you, and I, I'm looking back now. It's 13 years at this time since. That happened and it usually should take at least 60 years to pack in the amount of intense experiences that I've had in the last 13 years of my life since I met you. It's been a journey where God has peeled open, you know, the fact that he is the center of my joy. He's the reason, he's everything, you know, he's everything and and that he's enough, you know, and it takes years of working to understand what it means when you say that God is enough. He's more than enough. You know, I'm learning that more and more, even with music, even with, you know, with, with my career, that God is enough to have, his, to have his audience, you know, to sing and have him not only have his audience, but to also have him sing over us and be, you know, united with him in the entire process is fabulous, you know, to to know that if I have a battle to fight, that if I can bring it before him in that space, then I can yield and I don't have to fight in the flesh anymore, you know, that I have the, the strength of all creation, the strength of eternity behind me, in me, for me, over me, in front of me. It's everything. It's an I'm grateful. And and I say this to people, everybody, I mean, everyone in the worship community in Nigeria knows about Rita Springer and the story of how I started worship. But I'm so grateful. And I just wanted to say, you started, you're part of a very big revival that's happening in Nigeria. By the way, it's it's like, you know, everybody hungry for that space that you are, you've kind of stayed in, you know, regardless of what's going on in the movement of music or worship or Christian community around you, you've just kind of stayed in that place very consistent. And we're watching from across the world, and we're very grateful.
0: Thank you so much, T.Y., for joining us today and just sharing your heart. Uh, I can't wait for people to hear your story and just to hear what you're doing uh, in in Nigeria, in Lagos, in that part of Africa, and what God's doing with you. So thank you so much, my friend
1: for being here I love you I love you I I love love you you. so much I love you so much thank you for having me it's been such a joy